Hi, and welcome to the New Crux Podcast, where each week, Rob Reedy from Echoes Communications and me, Kyle Duford from The Brand Leader, talk about issues, problems, and their solutions that plague the outdoor and active lifestyle industries. Guys, you picked a good episode to listen to. Continuing our series on affiliate marketing, this is episode two of a series of four. We go to the publishing side and talk to Ben Fox from Inside Hook. And guys, the stuff he tells you, it's awesome. You got to learn this for your brand. One of the things I don't think people realize is how long affiliate has actually been around because it's become so buzzy in the past five years. Affiliate's been a two decade old marketing tactic that some brands have used for a really long time. All that and more on this week's episode of The Crux. Rob, today you and I are talking uh, again to Jacob uh, Haugi, who works with you, so you know that. But we, we got a chance to welcome Ben Fox from Inside Hook to continue our conversation on affiliate marketing. This is going to be series uh, of four. This is episode two of that four, talking about affiliate marketing from different perspectives. You guys might remember who are listening, we covered from the agency side last week. And today we'll talk from the publisher side. Then we'll go into the platform and the brand in subsequent two episodes. We want to welcome to the crux, Ben Fox from Inside Hook. Ben has a long and storied career uh, in the outdoor industry, from being at the Sierra Club right out of college to years at Outside Magazine, heading up their affiliate reviews department as a manager and as an editor. And now he's at Inside Hook, which I love. And if you guys don't know Inside Hook, especially for you guys out there, InsideHook.com, you know, everything from liquor and sports to entertainment how to dress I, I think you'll love it so we want to welcome ben fox to the show ben how are you i'm great thanks for having me yeah of course as you know we're talking about affiliate marketing and what it means typically from the brand side so the folks that are listening who are running brands starting brands rebranding or maybe just getting into the digital marketing space to help promote their brand what it means how it's differed in the past and where it's going so in your words uh, and guys, feel free to jump in here. In your words, what do you think affiliate marketing is? Why is it important? And how does it affect brands' push to get their products in front of people? Yeah, I mean, affiliate marketing at its core is partnership marketing. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to PR uh, with probably some different KPIs. I love affiliate because it's super mutually beneficial for both publishers or the affiliate and the brand, right? The brand is only paying a publisher or an affiliate when a sale is actually made. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty seamless transition. It's very easy for to run a campaign and have both the brand and the publisher be happy at the end of it. And it's, yeah, just super mutually beneficial and a kind of a, a budding marketing tactic, I guess. So how we know how the brand would be happy, obviously, if it, we garner more, garner more awareness, ultimately a conversion, uh, or maybe you know you're even sending people to to a website and they sign up for uh, email newsletter or something. There's d- different ways to convert and have success there. What does that look like on the publisher side? When you said it's mutually beneficial for you guys at Inside Hook, what does success look like on from your side? So essentially, Inside Hook is getting a little kickback, a little a little you know revenue commission when we sell a product. So whenever we feature a product in a review or a roundup or just strictly in our newsletter, anything like that, if we have an affiliate link there and we sell one product or you know 100 products, we get a set commission for each product sold. 
usually that's in like the 10 to 20% commission rate range. So obviously from our perspective, we are, we're looking at that data all the time and we are trying to cover brands that our readers respond and convert with more often than brands that our readers don't convert with. Now that has positives and negatives, right? It does mean that we start to lean heavier into coverage on certain brands simply because we're seeing that in the data. And we're also sometimes not covering other brands as much simply because our readers don't seem to be as interested uh, you know, in clicking those links or purchasing those products. Rob, on last episode, we were talking about how from an agency like yours to the publisher, it becomes a, a relationship with them, but also a relationship with the brand itself. Ben's talking about how this is mutually beneficial. Uh, how how do you insert yourself into that relationship? How do you help facilitate that? I think I think it's phenomenal, Ben, that you did touch on partnership marketing. You know, because that is you know fundamentally that's that's how we we treat affiliate. It's not like this distant ship in the horizon that you're trying to catch up with. Because we're communications brand communications at the core. So we treat communicating with our journalist friends within all across the media as that. It's not that there's a different tactic, right? That we're going to the media with. We're supplying the brand message. We're supplying the feature benefit. We're supplying the the angle we're we're, we're pitching it at. Backed it up with assets that kind of drive that message. And that's kind of the fundamental, you know, runway that we have with affiliate. So to hear that, just to, to me, at least, Jacob, I'm curious to hear your point, but it, it reassures kind of our thinking about it because everything we do naturally is a relationship. A, it starts with a conversation and you back it up with consistency and building a relationship. And with that, you create you create a fundamental kind of a bridge between the brand and, and the affiliate network. Even, you know, in, in our language on the agency side, as we talk to brands, we say, we're always out there looking for for new partners in the affiliate space, and so it's it's a it's almost a better way of looking at it as as some PR tactics is more just like let's get coverage anywhere and everywhere, fight for it. And this is kind of it. Kind of this is allows you to a little bit more focus, like and really think about the publications you're partnering with and making sure they're on brand, and that's somewhere that you would want to see you know your brand logo and product. Whether I'm being pitched from a PR person or from an affiliate manager, ultimately, you know, if you're on Inside Hook, the coverage looks exactly the same, right? The KPIs might be a tiny bit different depending on who's pitching me from their perspective. But for me, it's kind of all the same, right? Like from a PR perspective, you might, quote unquote, partner with Inside Hook to launch, you know, your new spring line, right? And just drive awareness. An affiliate manager might, quote unquote, partner with Inside Hook to drive clicks and conversions to that new spring line, right? But like ultimately what it looks like on my end is still a thorough review or a roundup mm-hmm. or, you know, some sort of editorial coverage of your brand spring line, right? So it's kind of all the same thing. The brands probably just approach it a little bit differently, you know, internally. So that brings up a great point though, Ben. So what does it look like to the consumer who's reading it? Do you have a little button that says advertorial or advertisement or is it transparent to them or is it, does that not even matter anymore? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really good question. Every piece of content that has an affiliate link in it, you know, there's a mandatory FTC disclosure. It has to, that disclosure actually has to be before on the page before they get to any affiliate link. Um, and that, that looks like, you know, a variety of different things you guys have probably seen in a million times on every site, but it's generally a little line that says, if you click on this link and, 
links in this article and purchase something, we may get a small commission. Everyone kind of words it a little differently. Uh, but you know, on general affiliate roundups, there's no other disclosure besides that. There's no like sponsored content, you know, banner or anything because we don't, and most publishers don't think of that as actually, you know, sponsored, right? Like we are fundamentally trying to write the best reviews of the best products out there, right? And I think affiliate has kind of a natural, you know, I, I think a lot of people think affiliate moves the industry in a negative direction. And in some ways I agree with them, but I also think there's a natural checks and balances system there in that we don't get paid unless if someone buys the product, right? So if we're out there hawking crappy products, you know, no one's, or, or writing bad reviews, no one's gonna buy the product or they're gonna buy it be like, oh, this product sucks. I'm going to return it. And then that we that gets deducted off of our balance at the end of every month, right? So for us to actually make money, someone has to buy the product, like it enough to keep it. That's important to realize. So it's it's more, if I can, from a, from a reader standpoint, you're just assisting me to find something I'm going to find already. And for that service, you're offering me, you're, you know, you're going to take a small fee. It's like a finder's fee, really, because I, I want to look for you know, the best, I don't know, the best child trailers uh, in the market. And so I do a quick search and I'm going to see Burley. I'm going to see Thule. I'm going to see Hammocks and those folks. Uh, and you guys uh, put something out that says the best, you know, the, the best men's bike trailer that you can have on a weekend. And I'm going to look through that. You're going to do an honest review of those trailers. You're going to put them in order based on whatever your, your data says or whatever your touch points are. And then I'm going to find that and click on one and might buy it. Is there anything in that process where you guys might steer more toward the one or two of those brands on that list that paid for that? Is there anything in there that's going to say, well, you know, Burley did a little bit more or Thule did a little bit more for us. So we're going to kind of lift them up from fourth to third or, or even third to first. Is there anything like that that people would be concerned about? Because I'm telling you, and as a former magazine editor, there was such a hard line between church and state. Publishers didn't even talk to editors. They, they wouldn't, I mean, the, and you know that being in the outside world, you were probably on the publishing half of the building, wouldn't even be allowed to the other side. So ha, what's the confidence level uh, from a reader to understand that there really isn't anything at play here other than really, really good journalism? And they happen, some of them happen to be getting, you know, a kickback. I mean, it's a very gray line. And, you know, we kind of call affiliate the gray area between paid and earned for that very reason. And I think it very much depends on how, you know, each publisher treats it, right? There are tons of publishers out there that are just covering stuff because they can make money off of it. They're only linking to Amazon because there are high conversion rates and they know people will buy stuff there. They are putting, you know, in a roundup of 10 products, they're putting the, you know, they're either only covering products that they can make affiliate off of or they're putting the, the products with the, the highest commission rates at the top and the ones that lower at the bottom. Um, you know, it really, I think it varies so much publisher to publisher. And I think readers are kind of catching on to that. I can only speak to, you know, the programs that I've run and, you know, at places like Outside and Inside Hook. At Inside Hook right now, we cover tons of products that we don't make. We have zero affiliate relationships just because they're good products. Now, a part of my job is trying to create affiliate relationships with those new brands that maybe we don't cover that often and we don't have relationships with yet. Um, Cause I'd like to earn a little commission on most things that we, that we cover to be completely honest, but oftentimes 
you know, brands aren't interested or they just don't have the capacity to figure that out right now. And that they stay in that product roundup. There's, you know, if they make a good product that our editor has used and like, we will cover them every day of the week. Jacob, Rob, how do you even determine then from the agency side, what publisher is, is on the up and up like Inside Hook seems to be versus another one, which as soon as you make the call, they're kind of like guaranteeing you a good place because while that may or may not be good for you guys, you get good placement. Eventually, as Ben's saying, it's the reader's going to figure it out. There's no like inside trading that happens between agency and publisher, right? There, there's not a, a secret decoder ring that, that anyone needs. We treat it as a strictly communication, um, you know, vehicle. I do know that, Ben, to your point, the, the season or not the seasonality, but the, a campaign-driven new spring line will, will potentially garnish more interest just due to the, the lust, new, fresh, you know, behavior of it. Unlike a product that's been on the market for, you know, it's it's not new, so that could possibly be a difference. But when we enter the affiliate conversation between, when we feel like the, the media conversation, we want to engage with the editor and the and the publisher on both sides of it. So we treat it like that. It's not a different strategy that we pro- provide. However, we do know that our partners, some of them have an affiliate network set up, they're positioned, and we treat that as that. But back to my original point prior, that everything has the same kind of presentation, right? We just know who we're talking about editorial side and on the publishing side. Yeah, and I think to your point, Rob, really the if 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 any change, it's really happened with educating the brands and making sure that they're aware of this. Because you know, one thing that we we became really surprised about as we were educating ourselves on this and building a team around affiliate was just the the sort of the lack of understanding or completely thinking affiliate is completely something else kind of very a very dated view of affiliate and educating them and making sure that they're on board making sure we get them on an affiliate platform because in in it's kind of it's almost like the foundation it's almost like the rules have changed a little bit um in on the editorial side and we need to make sure we're you know playing by those rules um to you know optimize and make sh- and and get coverage where we want to get it one, one, one kind of super. Oh, uh, Rob, I interrupted you again. Go ahead. No. Okay, really quick. So, but I was going to take it one step further. I think it's like we do know that brands, our partners are not, that there are products that do extremely well in the affiliate that won't do well on, you know, getting placement just due to maybe the lack of cultural relevancy or like the lack of interest from a journalist. However, that could be, you know, welcomed on the affiliate side. So that's what I wanted to mention really quick, Ben. I think that's a good point. And now I've forgotten what I was going to say, but I, I don't think it was very revolutionary. So I'll okay. oh, stop. I'm sure it was, it was, it was great. I, I literally commented to a colleague a minute before we, we started this, that I wasn't even quite sure after our last episode, if I fully wrapped my head around this and, and now it seems very clear to me. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm the also ran in this one, the, the laggard under in my understanding, but it seems really clear to me now that this is another opportunity that journalists can have to to place products, and if the publishers of that same, you know, entity happens to make money on a great, I think that's a very clear way of, of of understanding this. But but Rob, you're saying that some do well and some do others. Ben, you're saying that there's you know a commission of like fifteen to twenty percent. I remember back in the day when it was just display ad affiliate programs was just like a straight five bucks or something. How do you determine what's the best one, or are you even doing that? Because if you're selling kayaks, 
you're going to make a heck of a lot more money per unit than if you're selling some more commoditized item, you know, you know, further downstream. So does it matter? How are you, give me some examples of brands that have worked with you and have seen some success or, you know, maybe some that haven't and maybe don't tell us what those were. That's a good question. I think affiliate, just like traditional e-com buying is pretty cyclical, right? Like one thing we recognize is, you know, January, we see tons of cookware sales, right? And so that's in January, Inside Hook will be, will be covered with cookware reviews, reviews of pots and pans and Le Creuset's and Maidens and all those kind of brands will have lots of deals on that kind of stuff. Um, those brands are oftentimes, you know, discounting in January and February. And so that's kind of, that's something where our affiliate data tells us that, right? Where we might not normally have known that. So we'll push, we'll push cookware in January and February. And then, you know, we'll see other little trends throughout the year. Generally that, that kind of cover normal trends. You know, we're now obviously moving into like swimsuits and, you know, more summer beachwear and, and that kind of stuff. I think every once in a while, I'm surprised by a, a brand that will do super well and then surprised by a brand that doesn't do as well. But I think it's mostly to do with our audience. Um, for example, Solo Stove was a big one. I, I don't know if you've you've seen them. They, they've had kind of been plastered everywhere, it seems like recently. Fast Company wrote a big article about how they were, you know, one of like the pandemic successes kind of things in terms of sales. But that's a that's a brand that we hadn't covered before I joined Inside Hook. You know, we covered a, probably a sale of them, you know, in October last year, and now we sold so many that now we cover them every chance we can get. So like that's it's just kind of a random fire pit brand that is a nice fire pit, but it's, you know it's just a fire pit. But something about it, there's a story there that our readers respond to, and that's us looking at the data and then you know being like, okay. Let's keep an eye out for solo stuff. Ben, really quick, is there like a, a time period that that you provide for their cookie that a you know a user goes they may not purchase at that point because people's journey along the internet is OCD and we bounce over everything. But what how what does that look like and how long is that? That's set by the brand, not by us. And so average is thirty days, but there are plenty that are much shorter um, and plenty that are that are longer. It's something that I used to look at a lot back in the day. And now I don't look at quite as much, you know, certainly it seems like more expensive brands or more expensive products oftentimes offer a longer cookie window um, just because that path to purchase takes a little longer. Whereas Levi's jeans, for example, that that's a bit more of like, you're, you're going to decide whether you want to buy those probably in the first couple of days. So it doesn't really matter as much how long that cookie window is. I find something really interesting that you said that the affiliate data you're getting helps you determine you're going to write more about this. Is that also dictating your editorial calendar to some degree, knowing that you should talk about cookware in January and swimwear in April? Or, I mean, some of it is intuitive, swimwear in April maybe or, or May, but the cookware idea, I mean, I imagine men's grooming products and things like that aren't quite seasonal. Are you using that data to help, to help determine your editorial calendar? Absolutely. To a certain extent. Yeah. As well as, you know, big sales from major retailers. You know, we know when Nordstrom Rack has their big sale. We know, you know, when REI or Backcountry has their big annual sales. Um, and so those are certainly now on our editorial calendar. Um, but it gets even more, you know, the data helps us make even more on the fly decisions. For example, uh, over the past week, something I've noticed at Inside Hook is that our AOV, our average order value has really spiked. Normally, it's around like $66. 
you know, end of last week to over the weekend, it was over, you know, it was between like $150 and $200. So I, I noticed that. And my takeaway there was, I don't know if it's stimulus checks hitting or, you know, what, but pe- people are buying more expensive items. And so that's something that I tell to the editorial team. It's like, hey, keep an eye out for deals on appliances or fitness wear. Or like, you know, if you've, if you've got that, you know, bike trainer that's you've been meaning to review for a while and it's $1,600, um, you keep putting off that review. Let's get that up in the next three days because it kind of seems like there's something happening here where, you know, that $2,000 purchase isn't as scary to people as it was, you know, maybe last month. Data, data, like I said, has really pros and cons depending on which way you look at it, but we can get super granular with stuff and we can make on the fly decisions. That's That's got to be pretty exciting for brands as well, because you're sometimes coming to them with that information. They might not even have that, especially a newer brand that's coming to market who's just trying to get some kind of attention and awareness and you're kind of steering in that direction. Can you, can you give us some examples of, you know, some crazy ideas that data either overturned the thinking or, or was an ultimate successful story? That's a good question. I mean, the thing that immediately comes to mind is our, you know, recently is our newsletter. Um, so we send out a daily gear newsletter with a mix of, you know, reviews, roundups and deals. And we've been doing a lot of AB testing recently about, uh, you know, what types of stories respond best in a newsletter. So for example, if there are 10 stories in a newsletter, ultimately the first three are going to get clicked on a lot more than like the last five, right? That's just, people don't scroll all the the way down. That's like fairly obvious. But using some of the data, we have found that, for example, if we put a tech story, if we put like an AirPods review down in spot eight or something, it will actually do almost as well as a story that's in spot two or three even though it's at the bottom. And so like tech does really well at the bottom of our newsletter. And so we can, we can put something else up at the top that we want to get clicks on knowing that, Hey, we can put that, you know, that Sonos review down at the bottom and it's going to do just as well. Um, And so that's like a, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but another anecdote about how we use data. Um, Ben, I I had a question kind of concerning like your, what you consider your core audience. And then I know you kind of come from the outdoor space and you're trying to help really, really grow uh, a new audience. Um, And, you know, as someone who consumes regular media, you know, I have my go-to sites, like, and if, if I'm on my go-to site and I'm clicking through, I use, and I'm kind of looking at and reading the stories, I don't, I don't navigate off the page. I might, I might see a roundup, um, a gear guide or, and then some more feature stories, but I kind of stay within that ecosphere as opposed to, you know, when I'm looking for a specific product, I'm going on Google and I'm searching and I'm try- finding like the best of, because I basically want all my options right there. I want to read all the pros and cons. I want to scroll through it and then make a rational informed decision. And I'll end up on sites that I've never been on before, but I, the way it's written and stuff kind of tells me that these are good reviews, good, honest reviews, et cetera. I can tell through the language. So I guess my point is when you're writing like sort of roundups and guides, are those more directed to your core audience or are you kind of using those for SEO, Google, finding new people, new readers? It's a very good question. And something that I've been meaning to bring up with our editorial team over the past couple of weeks, because yeah, those SEO style articles are not necessarily written for um, our core audience. Uh, right now at Inside Hook, they are, but I don't think to get there at the best value out of them, they shouldn't be. So for example, we're, we're a men's lifestyle site, right? 
80% of our audience is male. So if we're writing a best rain jackets roundup, you know, all of those are going to be men's rain jackets. We're not going to link to any, to any women's jackets. But as that piece starts to rank on SEO, we should start adding women's jackets to that too, because I don't know what the split is, but theoretically 50-50 people finding that when they type in best rain jackets to Google are women. And then we're, we're potentially losing a lot of revenue by not having those offerings. So long story short, right now, everything is written for our inside hook audience, but I think that's going to change as our SEO improves. And I think you see that with other sites. They oftentimes include both male and female links. And often update those as they go. I think you're totally right. Yeah, statistically, absolutely spot on. You're like the, the, the future, you're future proofing what the editorial wrote because you can update it and kind of speak to, to both genders in this case. Yeah, I yeah. think SEO is actually a really good thing to cover briefly here because it's such a big part of affiliate. And you'll see, if you look at, the positions that the big sites, the Condes and the Hearsts and stuff are hiring for right now, um, a lot of them are SEO commerce specialists or something like that. Um, and so people are really realizing that as major publishers have been doing affiliate for five-ish years now, um, you know, growth kind of stalls out after a little while and you have to start figuring out how you're going to keep growing revenue. And SEO all, all, all of a sudden opens you up to this massive audience that you might not consider like the inside hook audience. Um, and so, you know, from my perspective, and this is kind of known throughout the industry, the best affiliate sites are, are driving 50 to 80% of their overall revenue from SEO. And so that's that's a metric that a lot of people are focusing on, a lot of publishers are focusing on right now. And that's why you see things like updating old articles and more and more best of lists and that kind of stuff. Um, and so even if it's a smaller publisher, you know, from an agency perspective or a brand perspective, sometimes if, if you just want to sell product, it's better to get on a best of list at one of those smaller sites than it is to, you know, get a placement and say outside, right? Outside's far bigger, bigger than, you know, the little niche hiking or backpacking or cycling blog. But if the cycling blog has a better SEO on, you know, best indoor cycling trainers, you're going to sell a lot more products by getting on that list than you are a mention in a bigger publication. But Ben, really quick, but on the consumer side, do, do you think there's a level of like fatigue? You go to the smaller sites where there's just a vast assortment and you're just like, I went here to try to, to, to funnel down. And now all of a sudden I have too many. And now all of a sudden I get bounced Amazon, for example, and now I'm just lost. I have way too much. And I forgot actually what I was searching for, you know? I think yeah. I mean, that's definitely true. And I think we've been pretty positive about affiliate so far on, on the podcast, but I think there are tons of downsides to it too, in the way that it's kind of pushing, you know, media and editorial. Yeah, Rob, that's, that's exactly the point, right? People are creating lists of 25 different Mm -hmm. you know, bike trainers simply because they just want someone to click on that link and go to Amazon or, you know, 25 different running shoes because they want to get one of every color on there just in case. So if you don't put a blue shoe on there and someone's looking for a blue shoe, maybe they're not going to click the link and buy it. It's really a lot of money. I don't know if that's actually true, but that's just an example. It's crazy because, and I'm, I'm perusing your site right now. And, and I don't know, like, I've been doing this a while from the editorial side of in print and, and now on the brand side. And I didn't know, and I, I'm not ashamed to say this, maybe I should be, but that this was as sophisticated as it is right now. There's, there's so much going on and I'm looking at some products here and you're right. I can't tell difference of some of them might be affiliate partners and some might not be. And it almost doesn't matter to me. I'm looking at 
Uh, I'm looking at, by the way, the best shoes for fall last year. And I'm like, yeah, here's some great Nike kill shots with the red accent instead. Awesome. You know, here's some the van skate high. I don't know what your, uh, maybe none of them, maybe, maybe all of them have, have some sort of like pay deal with you. I think it's just fascinating. And I appreciate you bringing up the SEO bit because as we see with brands, e-commerce brands that we work with, SEO is a big, a big piece, even for them seeing that it's, you can't quite tell what, you know, if you're looking at something that's paid or not an advertorial or an affiliate post, and then the brand is also competing against you in some regard for SEO. How do you have that conversation through an agency like Rob's to kind of assure them that you're going to help boost them and you're not just going to cannibalize any of their sales that they might have, especially for an online publication like yours, which is, you know, quite frankly, bigger than just your average cycling blog, like you mentioned. There's got to be some competition there between the brand itself and you, especially if you get bigger. Great point. And the short answer is we don't have that conversation. To a certain extent, operate in silos and kind of com- compete for SEO behind the scenes without really ever talking about it. I do think something like SEO, there's, it's, it's a pretty open playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of the best, the best tactics and the best content wins, right? Like there's no way to, there's no way to fool Google really. Um, you know, their algorithm, there's no, no one has relationships with the product guy at Google who can like slip them a couple thousand dollars to rank your site higher. Right. It comes down to the, the, the content that you're creating and which, what content Google thinks is better. Um, but yeah, we're, we're not having those conversations with brands and maybe at some point there'll be, there will come a time that like brands don't want to have affiliate relationships with publishers because they don't, they, they now view them as competition or something. I don't know. Interesting. Does that come up with uh, with your clients, Jacob? Brands need to create content, right? And and really, if you just put it on your own site, it's a lot of work. You're not going to be able to compete with an inside hook or any other publication in terms of ranking. There's just too much good content being churned out on a consistent basis by a publishing house that is, for the most part, you know, um, unbiased. We talked about a little bit about possible biases, but the idea is, is you want to get your content on those sites um, to reach their readership. So at any point, some brand, I mean, the only brand that I can think of that would really make sense is really Apple. I mean, they they just create their own platform. Um, But if you're not Apple, um, you need, you need to have relationships with, you know, um, media houses and, and, or collaborate with other brands to expand your reach. It's, it's just sort of, um, kind of, I don't know, seems kind of, it's like common sense. So you can't, you can't live in your own silo unless everyone's watching you. Well, Ben, uh, we call it the crux for a reason. And that is because, uh, there's problems in everything we do. Uh, the best way to, to get over the top is to come up with a solution. What in your experience in your career selling affiliate marketing, uh, and we know it's changed over the years and it's going in a different direction, uh, always evolving. What would you say the biggest problem you've encountered in, in this space, whether you're, you're selling it or you're working with the editorial, what, what would be the biggest problem and how did you overcome that? That's a good question. Globally, I think the biggest problem is spammy sites that put out roundups that we're kind of talking about um, that are, are mostly just trying to rank on SEO and they never touch the products actually, and they don't actually know how good they are. And they're just sending them all to Amazon. You know, I think stuff like that gives affiliate a, a really bad reputation just to kind of across the board. I think the hardest part about my job is 
approaching affiliate because we approach affiliate with kind of an editorial first approach. Sometimes brands don't understand that. So brands that are newer to the affiliate space and brands that are older and they've been doing this for a while, they oftentimes think that because they have an affiliate program, they all of a sudden like are just going to get guaranteed coverage or like, Hey, we signed up for affiliate. Like this is what you want. Right. It's like, that's not necessarily what we want. Like we want you to make good products, right. And send them to us so we can try them out. And like, we'll determine that for themselves. And affiliate kind of comes secondary. Um, you know, when we're putting together a roundup of like the best shoes for, for spring or whatever. Right. And so that I have a lot of conversation with brands that are like, okay, we, affiliate set up, like, what can we do together? It's like, okay, well, let me give you the the contact of, you know, some of our editors who cover, you know, whatever your, your style product and pitch them. And, you know, I'll send them a note to over Slack. We'll see if we can get them some product and get them to review it. Um, but just like PR, like there's no guarantee that that's actually going to happen just because you have an affiliate program. So I think that's, I think a lot of brands, especially newer brands really struggle with that. I'm sure you guys see it from the agency perspective. Um, but I, yeah, I see that a lot. It's like, I don't know. We, just because you have an affiliate program doesn't, at least for us, doesn't necessarily put you ahead of anyone else necessarily. Um, because honestly, probably we could have always got affiliate to you through Amazon or Nordstrom yeah. or RFI or something like that, right? Like This has been uh, enlightening for sure. Uh, it, it'll be really interesting on the next episode to hear from the platforms themselves and how they, you know, how they balance everything between really everyone who's on this call right now. So, uh, so that'd be fun. Uh, Jacob, Rob, last words. Oh, Ben, I'd like to say thank you very much. You know, I've known you for your career and kind of your past, and it's been an honor to, to talk through this with you. And it's great to get your point of view and visibility on it. So much appreciated. It's been amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Appreciate it. And Ben, just to help you out a little bit, let's make sure everyone who's listening goes to inside hook dot com right now signs up for that daily newsletter and uh, and click away you never know it might be putting some money in brands pockets but no matter what you're going to get an honest review of gear products that you can use for mostly men well guys that's going to wrap up one more edition of the crux podcast do you hope you're liking this series on affiliate marketing don't forget next episode we're going to be talking to a affiliate marketing platform and we're going to be seeing what it means from their side of things so we talked about agency we talked about publishing now we're going to talk about platform if you have any suggestions for the show or if you have any questions for us or if you want to be a guest on the podcast, please drop us a line at hello at thecruxpodcast.com. That's hello at thecrux, C-R-U-X, podcast.com. You can find us wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcast. And do us a favor and leave a review while you're there. That would be awesome if you'd be so kind. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next episode. The Crux is a production out of Greenville, South Carolina from The Brand Leader. If you would like some advertising information or want to be guests on the show, reach out to us. Hello at thecruxpodcast.com.